Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by LaCole, here with Benji Nyson today on uh, Saturday evening with Tour de Romandie Stage 4, the big mountain test, 159 kilometres from Sion to Tion 2000, a ski resort at 2100 metres altitude is where this is supposed to finish. The finish got brought forward, or the stage got brought forward by two hours uh, in advance of the original starting time because of bad weather. We still had the bad weather today and poor visibility. It's 14.6 k's at 7% is the first category one. Then they do another count one, the Suin climb, 14 k's at 6.7%. Then a descent into the last beast of a climb. Over an hour it would take them 20.7 k's at 7.6% with some steep sections in it. The GC standings going into this stage in Romandie, if you've not been following too closely, Mark Soler from Movistar, 14 seconds ahead of Thomas and Port, both on the same time. Other GC contenders of note, uh, Kelderman, 21 back, Coos, 21 back, Izaguirre, 26 back, and Woods was about ooh, 30 seconds back, at the same time as Izaguirre, Gorka, and Fausto Masnada. But Benji, a forlorn break went in the wet conditions. You'd think they wouldn't have a chance, but uh, some pretty good guys in there. Yeah, and became very interesting towards the end. But uh, first of all, the riders in the breakaway included Josef Czerny. We saw him uh, do that duo attack and eventually lead Honore to a victory in uh, one of the earlier races of the season. Mats Wurtschmidt for his real startup nation. We had Kobe Horsens once again, two days in a row, trying to test out the pronunciation of LR once again. Then Matt Holmes was in there as well. So a teammate for Lado Sidel and Magnus Court Nilsson, Petili and Peo. Now, from this group, what's important to this is that Horsens is on roughly, uh, I think, a minute and a bit in GC before the stage, and Magnus Gordon on 59 seconds. So let's say that the break gets a huge gap, then it could come into play towards the end of the stage. But um, they didn't have that huge of a gap, four minutes-ish, until, uh, well, for the first part of the stage. And we uh, saw them go into the second last climb of the day, and that gap started being reduced by the likes of Movistar, who was using the likes of uh, Vilea, Vilela, my bad, in the group and towards the top the gap was down to a, a good three minutes 45 and well something interesting happened because on the uphill of that climb we saw that the fog was getting immensely heavy and very difficult to see the visibility was very low and i bet it looked like we had points where we could see like 10 meters ahead and not further than that the camera almost couldn't see right at a certain point so pretty crazy weather but um, what was happening was that we heard that the radio of the race, race radio, ended up calling out that they're going to neutralize three kilometers in the descent, a certain three kilometers. We, the viewer, did not really know which part that was yet at that point. And I was generally curious, how are they going to do this? How are they going to make sure that the gap between the peloton and the breakaway is going to stay the same? Well, turns out they weren't. So uh, their plan was as simple as 
putting a car ahead of the breakaway and putting a car ahead of the peloton and making sure that the peloton and the breakaway need to ride behind their own cars with a guy waving a stop sign in front of the group. And while that's actually a pretty good way of making sure that the gap in between could stay the same, the only thing that might make it troublesome is if one car rides faster than the other. And that was the case here because by the end of that three kilometer section, the gap had expanded by, I think, a minute and five seconds, which is quite substantial. And afterwards, they uh, they basically just, yeah, they basically just rode on again and the neutralization stopped. In general, it's good that they made the decision because on the uphill, it was looking very dangerous for the descent itself. But I think that the execution was a bit flawed and it isn't the first time that this happens. But I want to throw it over to you and I want to hear what you think about this neutralization uh, and how they handled it. Well, this has been a problem for a while. I think 2013 Giro, Rigoberto Uran still believes he would have won that Giro d'Italia on the Stelvio stage where I think a descent was neutralized. That's why he was so... Uh, or in such disbelief on the Col de stage 19 of the Tour de France 2019, when I think you might remember on that descent, people were telling him it'd been cancelled, neutralised. He was like, no, it's not, because he was remembering that <laughs> Stelvio stage where I think Quintana attacked through yes. the neutralisation. Dwarsdor of Landron, they neutralised because the ambulance needed, this is this year, needed to get to the women's race. And I think Perstelberger, who was in the break, they then stopped the break and the break was caught by the peloton and they let the break go ahead and they didn't include Perstelberger in it and he had to like hold on to the sports and moto to catch back up. So I think neutralizations, there needs to be a pre-agreed speed, I guess. If they're both on a downhill, you need to say to the cars, okay, we're both going to go 30Ks an hour and stay at that for a predefined period of time and you need to take the time check at the time of neutralization and ensure that that time gap is the same when you end the neutralization whether you're on a descent or whatever uh because yeah it was it could have been unfair what happened today and we'll see whether it made a difference movistar were pacing into that last climb the gap 545 going to this beast of a climb maybe even six minutes and caught and Patelli were looking really strong. Movistar, I think, was it Erviti they might have had on the front? They didn't have like a pure climber. They pretty much just had Lopez and Soler behind him. I think they had Cataldo as well pulling. They had another rider. Uh, Ineos had Dennis, I'm not sure if Benji mentioned, yo-yoing at the back on the descent, took it very tentatively, then took a long time, like four or five Ks at least, to move up to the front on that climb. Uh, and didn't really start pacing. And I guess, were you surprised, Benji, that Movistar were pacing on the early slopes? They didn't really seem to be making an impression. Were they going for Lopez stage win? Like, what was their rationale? Just defend the jersey? Yeah, I think defending the jersey was coming into play because, as I said at the start, Magnus Court Nielsen had a, uh, a minute deficit in GC before the stage started and then with a six minute gap towards him and Patili being the two leftovers of the breakaway well it's starting to get difficult because you got to get back five minutes on a 20k climb on paper if you have then a spacing the entire way that would be something that I'd say it's definitely possible to catch that up quite easily but it became quite tenuous because 
well, Ineos wasn't coming to the fore and wasn't going to uh, immediately take over. They were letting Villela and Cachaldo do all the work for Movistar first, and they were trying to have Movistar, well, pretty much have their uh, their plate eaten up first before they start eating their own plate at Ineos. And I think, I don't know, I, th- I think that there's a, an argument for should Movistar have put Ineos in a worse position considering with the time gap Soler had in GC before the stage, it would on paper still be Ineos that is looking for the GC here with the time trial tomorrow. Perhaps they could have put Ineos in a worse situation if they forced them to do something. But then again, Movistar is going to pull the same card. They're going to say, oh, no, you're the leader. Just you do it. So I don't know. There's two sides to this, and I don't really know if we can judge on that aspect. Yeah, and they weren't really thinning out the group too much. They were keeping the gap fairly stable, to be honest, at about 5.30 instead you know, until Ineos started pulling on the front with about 13 kilometres to go. And that was with Dunbar and Dennis. Immediately, he or she and Van Wilder were dropped. Patelli and Court had dropped their breakaway companions quite early on the climb. Kobe uh, Golsons and Matthew Holmes were gone. Um, so they were working pretty well together on the front. But you've got to remember how cold this stage is, how wet it is, long so many, so much climbing in this stage. They're going up to pretty high altitude, 2,100 metres. And Magnus Court is a good climber for a guy with a quick finish, but he's not a pure climber by any stretch of the imagination. And trusting the time gaps based on what they were telling us, I think from 13Ks to about 10Ks, the gap went from 520 to like 4.30, then another 30 seconds from 10 to 9K. So they'll bring it down really quickly, particularly when Dennis got on the front. Dunbar took a rest. He was mowing into this gap. And then Benji, six and a half Ks to go. Court has gone clear at this point on his own, dropped the telly. 3.10 the gap, which is it's still a decent gap, but if you crack, that can be eaten into quickly. Marc Soler attacked in the leader's jersey with Dennis right there pacing with Port Thomas on Dennis' wheel. I mean, what was that? I don't know. No <laughs> like, it makes no sense. And I guess that's why he is the J.R. Smith sometimes. You know, shooter's going to shoot. And today's shot definitely didn't go in. Uh, but Mark Soler, Benji, want to men- oh, hold that thought. Talking about Mark Soler and an HC climb. But anyway, he got reeled back in. Rowan Dennis immediately was like, don't chase him. He said to Thomas and Port, don't chase him. I'll bring him back. But it was Lucas Hamilton attacking at 5Ks to go. The gap's still 310, 315. Did you think that was a better move from Hamilton? Do you think maybe Dennis had started to lose some steam and he needed to go then? Well, I think when it comes to Dennis, it's hard to say when he's losing steam. But I think when it comes to Hamilton... He's in a situation where he needs to attack. He needs to gain time and he needs to do it on this climb because tomorrow in the time trial, he's going to lose time. And it's also likely the strategy that he's being fought in the team as well because we saw quite a few times in the history of Bike Exchange and Orica and Mitchelton and all those kind of deviations of, of the certain team that Yates is always attacking or either of the Yates are always attacking early and Chavez did it in a... Catalonia, if I recall yes, correctly, also doing it the same way because he's trying to hope that, well, Ineos doesn't care too much about him. But 
I'm afraid that he's a bit too close in GC to make that move this time around. And that's why I think that his move was also kind of dangerous. But eventually, the moment that Hamilton had a bit of a gap, we saw that in the peloton, well, the elite group, the people that were left, that Dennis was running out of steam because he moved to the back and he was done for. And the Richie Port that was also in that group that had looked to be at the back for quite a bit in that group suddenly came to the front and started pacing for Grain Thomas. So there was a clear hierarchy in that team. Thomas is clear leader here, as we, I think, somewhat expected, at least I kind of did. And um, yeah. Well, then the time games went crazy. Yeah. It was 320, it went to 250. And then as Dennis was pulling, it went out to 335 again in a kilometer. I was like, Magnus Court did not just put 30 seconds into Rowan Dennis in the last kilometer. Then we've got the same race situation Benji said, and it's 4.2Ks to go. The time gaps just leave. We don't see them for ages. It hovers on 4.2 kilometers to go, I swear, for like seven minutes. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, all faith in the time gaps and uh, distance remaining out the window. We are expecting Court and Patelli either to be crossing the line and winning the stage <laughs> in five seconds or being caught by the GC group despite supposedly having a three-minute gap. the funniest gap. part is, the funniest yep. part is here that we saw no time gap for a while and then suddenly you have attacks <laughs> from the group behind, the elite group, including yeah. the likes of uh, Woods making a move uh, yep. towards Hamilton. We had O'Connor yep. moving up and we saw that Basically, uh, Ford was also not really looking too bright in that group anymore. So the pace there was going down. And suddenly, 20 seconds shows up on the left top. And I'm like, how are they 20 seconds behind Magnus Court Nilsson? But well, one, apparently, <laughs> yeah, apparently, it's Patili that came out of nowhere and came back to Court, who was yeah. basically standing still at that point, and yeah. then passed Court and dropped Court where he was standing. And Court was. Basically done for the Danish hope for GC in Romandy, completely gone. And then we go back to the elite group. What happens there? Well, yeah, Court and Patili up the road. And when you saw the fact that Patili caught Court, it's like that's not because Patili's got second win. It's because Court is absolutely done. Yeah. So it was going to be Hamilton and Woods. Woods bridged to him. He was looking really good, Mike Woods, powering away. Ben O'Connor was trying to bridge to him. And then when it cut back to the, I guess, GC group or what was left of it, we didn't see Grant Thomas. And my guess was he's up the road somewhere yep. doing a – I thought it was the last kilometre bridge, but it was like three and a half k's left. Um <laughs> Visibility, terrible. Port dropped, Coos dropped. Uh, I think Soler starting to drop at this point. And then we suddenly got a shot of Masnada pacing. Geraint Thomas, harder than he's probably ever pulled for Almeida, bridges him <laughs> back to Woods and Hamilton, maybe looking for that Ineos domestique sweet contract in 2022 if he doesn't get re-signed by Lefebvre. And uh, he bridges Thomas to Woods and Hamilton, and we knew this was trouble. Thomas immediately attacks. He says, thanks, Fausto. I'll send you the documents by DocuSign next week and skips past Woods and Hamilton and leaves Masnada after having bridged him across. Woods gets on to, I think, go. Woods was already further up the road. Sorry, that was a Hamilton group. Thomas then catches Woods afterwards. We're guessing it's two and a half Ks to go. The GC contenders are scattered all down the mountain. We have no idea of time gaps. We just assume they're big. And then Thomas just starts pacing straight away for Woods Benji. And I guess why does that make sense, given the time trial is the last stage tomorrow? 
well, even if Woods ends up winning this stage from the group that Thomas is in, then we will have a situation where Thomas is still the all-out favorite for GC. Even if, uh, well, even if Woods wins in this group, he would not pass Thomas. That's what we had in mind at that moment. So Thomas was like, if I keep on pacing like this and you overthrow me at the end, then you get 10 bonus seconds, I get six. I lose four towards you, but I'm going to destroy you in the time trial anyway. So it's basically secured if we ride to the line like this. And that's what we had in mind. O'Connor moving up a tiny bit behind, came close, but eventually disappeared for a bit again. So wasn't looking like he was going to play into the stage. And we went into the last kilometer and I was thinking, hmm, does Thomas have the punch to do this? We know that he can do pretty uh, good final kilometers, but we're talking about Woods here. And Woods, we know, is a puncher and he's had pretty good climbing experience already in the UAE tour earlier this season. So who am I going for? I think that I think that Woods is going to take it in the sprint. That's my initial thought going into final kilometer and going into 400 meter to go when Thomas was still pacing in the front. What did you think was going to happen and what actually happened? Well, I actually thought it was really, really close between these two. Woods beat Thomas in the stage four uphill sprint, the stage Chavez won in Catalonia. And then on the stage beforehand, Thomas outkicked Woods right at the end, but he more dropped him proper. And as Benji said, I think UAE will stage five, the Jebel Jais climate might have been. Maybe we're, I'm misremembering, but Woods was strong there. So I thought Woods slight edge, but you never know at the end of an hour in the, in the cold and wet. Woods moved up early, looked like he was overcoming Thomas, and then Thomas came back in the last 150, 125 metres, slid underneath him, taking the inside line, went in front of Woods. Woods then went back onto his wheel a little bit. They both get onto – well, Woods gets onto the hoods, starts sprinting to the left-hand side of Thomas. Thomas, you see him try to shift up and then get out – he's about to get out of the saddle, and he is right-hand – loses control of his right hood as he goes to put pressure down on the pedals to start sprinting, misses his right hood and then like crosses himself with his left hand then coming across and crashes pretty heavily in the last 50 metres. Woods then, not Stephen Bradbury because he was probably going to win the sprint anyway, although I think it would have been close, uh, wins the stage and Thomas is just on the ground. Trying to get up, he re- looks pretty banged up. He's kind of shaken. He can't. He's trying to get onto his bike. Remember, this is uphill. He's in cleats, and they've just done one of the nastiest, maybe yeah. the most disgusting stage this year that we've had in World Tour and maybe Torino. But this is up there, especially for the climb yeah. they've had. And yeah, he's crashed pretty heavily, and he's struggling to get back on the bike, and he ends up. Despite sprinting side by side with Woods being overcome by O'Connor, and he comes third on the stage, Woods first, O'Connor for second, 17 seconds back, Grant Thomas losing 21 seconds in the last 50 metres, Hamilton fourth, Masnada fifth, Port sixth, Yonizaguero seventh, Caruso eighth, Soler ninth, Aronsman tenth, with Kelderman on the same time as him, the two Dutchmen riding together. But do you think Thomas Benji? A, do you agree that that's why he crashed or did he misshift and his chain stopped or something? It looked like exactly how you, how you said it. I'm not a mechanical expert of bikes, but I feel like that is the way that the crash happened, unfortunately. And yeah, 
it's really annoying as well because when you're when you're riding uphill and you crash in an uphill situation, you sometimes have worse crashes than you have in descents because in descents you end up getting mostly road rash if you crash into a corner and just slip forward. And in an uphill section, we hurry. We have had, for example, Nibli in that Tour de France stage. I think was it Aldous? I don't remember fully where he crashed and he um, had a back injury. And yeah, sometimes the uh, the slowest crashes can do the most damage, unfortunately. But let's hope Thomas is okay here. His crash did lose him the lead in this race that he had virtually going into the last 200 meters. And quite simply, he's going to start tomorrow if he starts. Let's hope he does. He's going to start behind Woods in GC. 11 seconds, if I checked correctly just a second ago. Yeah, but that. that means that um, on paper... If the situation goes, then a time trial for Thomas, if he has no issues with the crash today, he should still win GC, I think. I'm trying to look at uh, Ineos social media and uh, they I can't really see confirmation that he's okay. It says he remounts to take third over the line. I'll look at his social media. Uh, he doesn't say anything either. So I presume he'll be okay. Hopefully he is. I mean, God, crashes have affected his Palmares so, so much. And uh, if he's fine, he'll win the GC at Tour de Romandie. And let me run through why that is with the uh, profile tomorrow. It's an ITT to finish it off from Fribourg to Fribourg. 16 kilometres. There's some climbing in it up and down a lot, actually. In the first two Ks, they do an 800-meter 13% climb. Then after that, a 1,100-meter 5.6% climb. And the last 15, 1,600 meters is a gradual climb as well. So perfect, absolutely perfect for Grant Thomas. And um, is Gannis still here? I have no clue. I generally have no <laughs> clue. Somewhere at the back with Chris Froome somewhere. Let me just, yeah, he, he finished the stage. Oh, did he? I don't know. <laughs> There's people still coming over the line yeah. as we were recording, Benji. So <laughs> I think Froome has finished. Uh, Gunn has finished. I don't know whether it's him or Thomas tomorrow. But the point is, GC, Thomas is putting normally 30 seconds into Woods yeah. plus one would think. So as long as he's fine, he should wrap up GC. Uh, but, yeah, Benji, do you think there's a few talking points here? Koos, not got a good track record in the cold and wet. He lost three yeah. minutes. Kroosvike, six minutes back. I mean, people were saying, because when you we mentioned Kroosvike as potential GC for Tour de France, I was like, no, I don't see it. Do you think this stage is a complete anomaly where we can't really take proper learnings from it because it was so weird, so cold, so disrupted? I think it's really hard to get something out of this we know that thomas is looking good on the climbs uh i think it's it's harsh to say that he's not looking good here definitely i think that if he has no issues with the injuries from this crash then i'm still pretty bullish on him overall for a potential podium at the tour de france but the problem is that we don't have any indication between him and the slovenians he's accidentally evading those two and that means that since tireno until the tour, we won't have any indication to where the difference is between those two, well, those three riders. And then it's hard to say, ah, oh, he's at a good level to beat the Slovenians. I, I think if O'Connor is 
is 15 seconds behind you, not taking away from the wonderful performance by O'Connor here, but it doesn't shout Tour de France victory for me. And that's where I'm like, I'm not sure that this is an indicator from a performance aspect. Then again, when it comes to the weather and so forth, pretty insane stage. It's an absolute heroic stage towards the end. And it's hard to say. I can't say where this aligns up to the Slovenians, and I can't say whether this proves anything for Thomas or disproves anything for Thomas. But either way, great stage by him, and unfortunately for him, it didn't turn out the way he likely hoped it would. And hopefully he can punch back tomorrow. I think if I was Dave Brailsford watching this week at Romandy, watching oh. my two GC contenders, Port and Thomas, riding in these conditions, and Dennis as well, maybe I would say their most important domestique, frankly, for the tour, watching them running around. I, would, I was about to say, I was going to say on the pod, Benji, I can't believe Thomas has made it through this Romandy without crashing, and he did right at the last. And I guess this is why spoke to, I spoke to Kemner about it last year. People were querying why Roglic and Pagatcha are taking such a big gap off before the Tour de France. Well, Dauphiné, Roglic couldn't get on the TT bike after his crash in the Dauphiné before the Tour. And, you know, you're going to get paid millions and millions of euro, the biggest, like, honestly, Romany, who gives a fuck? Like, it's who's watching this race really out of compared to the Tour de France. I'm sure they get more sort of viewership, marketing KPIs, stuff for their sponsors out of one stage at the Tour than the whole of Romandy, probably easily. So peaking for the Tour and keeping yourself in safe, good condition is more important. And that's why, yeah, I'd think twice about sending my GC contenders to Romandy next year in the wet. I know that's not what we want to hear as fans. Not everything's about the tour, but honestly, like you can get the same training gains on in good weather on your own if you're a GC contender. You go and do okay. We're going to do three Cat One climbs at this intensity. Sure, you might want to do. It's not like the Slovenians, Benji, are not racing much anyway. Um, yeah. But do you? Yeah, what would you do if you were a DS? Would you think the same way or would you think tune-up races are essential? And it's a double-edged sword for Thomas and Port. The less they race, they're probably their bunch handling gets worse and they're more likely to crash in the tour. But the more they race before the tour, the more they're likely to crash. Yeah, it's a hard decision. I think that in regards to GC in Romandy, I wouldn't make any unnecessary risks. And I think that... The problem here is that I would not expect an uphill section in the wet to be a risk. A descent in the uh, in the wet would be a risk. So I think that this is just simply a a small mistake by by Thomas that ends up with him on the ground. I I don't think we can say that it's due to the uh, extreme weather conditions that he crashed. Although obviously, if his hand wasn't wet, he might not have slipped off his hoods. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's kind of a crazy stage in total because. You have to imagine that these riders throughout the entire stage ride through a wet condition and then go up to a height meters, altitudes of 2K, which means that they're in a snowy area and it's it's starting to freeze at that point. So that's that's the the worst aspect for me here. I think um I think it's impossible to know before Romandy that it's going to rain like this and that the conditions are so extreme. But 
if the conditions are very extreme in a race, you have to consider perhaps pulling out a rider. But if they're on the top three of GC, are you going to do that? I don't know. Uh, I think those riders also kind of want to raise their, well, perhaps sport not as much as, as Thomas in these conditions. Thomas has a history of crashing a lot, but he also has a history of sometimes doing very well in extreme conditions, like that hand wable game where he crashed. Okay, that ruins my argument. But <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, I think I think it's a hard decision, and I would know. I, I definitely would not know what to do. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think I definitely. It makes sense in the context of last year, given everyone was flying after lockdown. That you don't need if you're a GC contender, you don't need loads of race days to turn up at the tour in top top condition. And the Slovenians have raced uh, more than enough in the Ardennes, etc., and Paranese Terreno. Um, Sep Kuz Benji. Do you think 100% no GC prospects at the Tour, uh, just given how this entire week has gone for him, he should be firmly on domestic duties? Yep, and I think um, he himself is probably more okay with that as well. He said it throughout last year as well, that he's tuning more towards the domestic role for now. And I also think that the Tour de France is just not the one to send him to as a GC rider. I think that... Of all the riders in, in Yumbo, he's one of the ones that I'm quite clear of that he's not going to be riding for GC. And they've got other options to try and play with uh, in regards to having them in the top 10 and playing a role to kind of twist around the race for the other competitors they have. So I think that he's on domestic duties and uh, should be that for the Tour de France. I think that if Vuelta fits him better, but um, he's going to need to be more consistent than if it rains, he's going to need to be there as well then. Definitely some learnings from Romandy, but I'm not sure it should really influence too much except for one man, Benji. There's one man where I think there's real learnings from this and it's Mike Woods is climbing differently in the high mountains and big mountain climbs than we've ever seen before because it's not just Romandy. Catalonia too, he was really good on those two stages, stage three and four. And, yeah, he's Looks even better than he did at EF Benji. I mean, Liège, he was super strong, creating that race-defining split a week ago. Now he's coming, winning a mountain stage, and I think he still would have won it without Thomas crashing, winning a mountain stage like this in Tour de Romandie. Do you think top five at the Tour is possible for Mike Woods? No, because I don't think his time trial is good enough. I think that... He's quite simply going to lose a lot of time towards the competitors that we know that can time trial for GC. And that's why I don't believe in that. I think Michael Woods is ideal for doing the same that Dan Martin did at the Vuelta last year. He is able to get close in GC with these very steep finals. And he's also able to do larger mountains now. And that's the two things you need for the Vuelta. You don't exactly need the best time trial to win the Vuelta, but it obviously certainly helps look at Roglic but um yeah I think Felta fits him better I think Tour doesn't fit him for GC I think that he should focus on hmm I don't know it's hard because they've got multiple riders in their team and let's say that they do give a spot to Chris Froome then they're taking away a spot of a domestique that could help Woods or Dan Martin here and that's not really a, an ideal thing and they should I don't take- know Woods, I don't know. It's, Martin, yeah. Nealens, Impey, Berwick, 
Mansford, Schmidt, and Ripple, the GC man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not looking at their roster. Um, Me neither. But yeah, I don't know whether they're taking Froome, but I think they should. They owe it to the condition right now of Mike Woods to give him the strongest team possible. Maybe Ben Herneman's there as well. And Jesus, their team is not deep, Benji. Like, yeah. They got it's yeah, wow. It's weird. With the team. likes of uh with the likes of Dan Martin who has to do both the Giro and the Tour de France on his schedule, so didn't make sense to me. Uh, yeah, I, I think thought, <laughs> you got two guys who could have won on Britannia. He's <laughs> won on Britannia before. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He won't this year, but I think that we've got much more competition for that race, but that's for the tour preview very, very far in the future. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I think Mike Woods is in great condition. Congrats to him on taking a very, very big win on one of the nastiest stages we might see this year. Hope Grant Thomas is okay. If he is, he should destroy the TT tomorrow and clean up the uh, GC for Tour de Romandie. And let me just check who should come second, Benji. Just check quickly who'll come second. Should be Richie Port, one would think, should come, well, 36 seconds between him and Woods. Port normally should as well. And I want to see how Ben O'Connor goes in the ITT tomorrow. I mean, he he's a good example, Benji. Sorry, I know we were supposed to sign off, but Ben O'Connor is a good example. Anytime a team complains, we don't have any money. You must have so much money. How can we compete with Ineos? Ben O'Connor is on a one-year deal, I presume, on the minimum at Azure Desert Citroën. And it's not like, oh, how is Ben O'Connor coming second in a Tour de Romany mountain stage? Hello? He was in the break three days in a row for NTT at the Giro last year and won a stage. He was fucking strong at all of those stages. And I think only got, you know, he was flying. It's not a surprise. And NTT were folding. Maybe everyone had already firmed up their books or whatever, but Ashley Desert Citroën gave him a one-year deal, one year on a minimum. And if anyone has any brain next year, the bloke should be on a three-year deal somewhere on a lot more money. He's only 25. I mean, he's had he won a stage in the Tour of the Alps back in 2018. I think he had injury issues. He wasn't at the best team. I'm telling you, I know just because he's Australian, but he's he's from Western Australia. It's not near where I live, so I'm not biased. He's legit, okay? And the fact that he got a one-year deal means that people are not valuing talent properly in World Tour, which isn't a surprise to anyone. All right, that's where we'll end today, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow with the last stage of Tour Romandy. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 